Section 102 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Novella Serena. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Conclusion The Night in the Sea. Chapter 2 Barkilphedro, having aimed at the eagle, brings down the dove. The step of the little van was down, the door ajar, there was no one inside. The faint light which broke through the pane in front sketched the interior of the caravan vaguely in melancholy chiaroscuro. The inscriptions of Ursus, glorifying the grandeur of lords, showed distinctly on the worn-out boards, which were both the wall without and the wainscot within on a nail near the door gwynplaine saw his esclavine and his cape hung up as they hang up the clothes of a corpse in a dead house just then he had neither waistcoat nor coat on behind the van something was laid out on the deck at the foot of the mast which was lighted by the lantern it was a mattress of which he could make out one corner on this mattress some one was probably lying for he could see a shadow move some one was speaking concealed by the van gwynplaine listened it was ursus's voice that voice so harsh in its upper so tender in its lower pitch that voice which had so often upbraided gwynplaine and which had taught him so well had lost the life and clearness of its tone it was vague and low and melted into a sigh at the end of every sentence it bore but a confused resemblance to his natural and firm voice of old it was the voice of one in whom happiness is dead a voice may become a ghost he seemed to be engaged in monologue rather than in conversation we are already aware however that soliloquy was a habit with him it was for that reason that he passed for a madman gwynplaine held his breath so as not to lose a word of what ursus said and this was what he heard this is a very dangerous kind of craft because there are no bulwarks to it if we were to slip there is nothing to prevent our going overboard if we have bad weather we shall have to take her below and that will be dreadful an awkward step a fright and we shall have a rupture of the aneurysm i have seen instances of it oh my god what is to become of us is she asleep yes she is asleep is she in a swoon no her pulse is pretty strong she is only asleep sleep is a reprieve it is the happy blindness what can i do to prevent people walking about here gentlemen if there be anybody on deck i beg of you to make no noise do not come near us if you do not mind you know a person in delicate health requires a little attention she is feverish you see she's very young tis a little creature who is rather feverish i put this mattress down here so that she may have a little air i explain all this so that you should be careful she fell down exhausted on the mattress as if she'd fainted but she is asleep i do hope that no one will awake her i address myself to the ladies if there are any present a young girl it is pitiful we are only poor mountebanks but i beg a little kindness and if there is anything to pay for not making a noise i will pay it 
I thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Is there any one there? No? I don't think there is. My talk is mere loss of breath. So much the better. Gentlemen, I thank you, if you are there, and I thank you still more if you are not. Her forehead is all in perspiration. Come, let us take our places in the galleys again. Put on the chain. Misery is come back. We are sinking again. A hand, the fearful hand which we cannot see, but the weight of which we feel ever upon us, has suddenly struck us back towards the dark point of our destiny. Be it so. We will bear up. Only I will not have her ill. I must seem a fool to talk aloud like this when I am alone. But she must feel she has some one near her when she awakes. What shall I do if somebody awakes her suddenly? No noise, in the name of heaven. A sudden shock, which would awake her suddenly, would be of no use. It will be a pity if anybody comes by. I believe that every one on board is asleep. Thanks be to Providence for that mercy. Well, and Homo? Where is he, I wonder? In all this confusion I forgot to tie him up. I do not know what I am doing. It is more than an hour since I have seen him. I suppose he has been to look for his supper somewhere on shore. I hope nothing has happened to him. Homo! Homo! Homo struck his tail softly on the planks of the deck. You were there! Oh, you are there! Thank God for that! If Homo had been lost, it would have been too much to bear. She has moved her arm. Perhaps she is going to wake. Quiet, Homo! The tide is turning. We shall sail directly. I think it will be a fine night. There is no wind. The flag droops. We shall have a good passage. I do not know what moon it is, but there is scarcely a stir in the clouds. There will be no swell. It will be a fine night. Her cheek is pale. It is only weakness. No, it is flushed. It is only the fever. Stay. It is rosy. She is well. I can no longer see clearly. My poor Homo, I no longer see distinctly. So I must begin life afresh. We must set to work again. There are only we two left, you see. We will work for her, both of us. She is our child. Ah, the vessel moves. We are off. Good-bye, London. Good evening. Good night. To the devil with horrible London. He was right. He heard the dull sound of the unmooring as the vessel fell away from the wharf. Abaft on the poop a man, the skipper, no doubt, just come from below, was standing. He had slipped the hawser and was working the tiller. Looking only to the rudder, as befitted the combined phlegm of a Dutchman and a sailor, listened to nothing but the wind and the water, bending against the resistance of the tiller, as he worked it to port or starboard, he looked in the gloom of the after-deck like a phantom, bearing a beam upon its shoulder. He was alone there. So long as they were in the river the other sailors were not required. In a few minutes the vessel was in the centre of the current, with which she drifted without rolling or pitching. The Thames, little disturbed by the ebb, was calm. Carried onwards by the tide the vessel made rapid way. Behind her the black scenery of London was fading in the mist. Ursus went on talking. Never mind. I will give her digitalis. I am afraid that delirium will supervene. She perspires in the palms of her hands. What sin have we committed in the sight of God? How quickly has all this misery come upon us? Hideous rapidity of evil. A stone falls. 
it has claws it is the hawk swooping on the lark it is destiny there you lie my sweet child one comes to london one says what a fine city what fine buildings southwark is a magnificent suburb one settles there but now they are horrid places what would you have me do there i am going to leave this is the thirtieth of april i always distrusted the month of april there are but two lucky days in april the fifth and the twenty-seventh and four unlucky ones the tenth the twentieth the twenty-ninth and the thirtieth this has been placed beyond doubt by the calculations of cardin i wish this day were over departure is a comfort at dawn we shall be at a gravesend and to-morrow evening at rotterdam sounds i will begin life again in the van we will draw it won't we homo a light tapping announced the wolf's consent ursus continued if one could only get out of a grief as one gets out of a city homo we must yet be happy alas there must always be the one who is no more a shadow remains on those who survive you know whom i mean homo we were four and now we are but three life is but a long loss of those whom we love they leave behind them a train of sorrows destiny amazes us by prolixity of unbearable suffering who then can wonder that the old are garrulous it is despair that makes the daughtered old fellow homo the wind continues favourable we can no longer see the dome of st paul's we shall pass greenwich presently that will be six good miles over oh i turn my back for ever on those odious capitals full of priests of magistrates and of people i prefer looking at the leaves rustling in the woods her forehead still in perspiration i don't like those great violet veins in her arm there's fever in them oh all this is killing me sleep my child yes she sleeps here a voice spoke an ineffable voice which seemed from afar and appeared to come at once from the heights and the depths a voice divinely fearful the voice of dea all that gwynplaine had hitherto felt seemed nothing his angel spoke it seemed as though he heard words spoken from another world in a heaven-like trance the voice said he did well to go this world was not worthy of him only i must go with him father i am not ill i heard you speak just now i am very well quite well i was asleep father i am going to be happy my child said ursus in a voice of anguish what do you mean by that the answer was father do not be unhappy there was a pause as if to take breath and then these few words pronounced slowly reached gwynplaine gwynplaine is no longer here it is now that i am blind i knew not what night was night is absence the voice stopped once more and then continued i always feared that he would fly away i felt that he belonged to heaven he has taken flight suddenly it was natural that it should end thus the soul flies away like a bird but the nest of the soul is in the height where dwells the great lodestone who draws all towards him i know where to find gwynplaine i have no doubt about the way father it is yonder later on you will rejoin us and homo too homo 
hearing his name pronounced, wagged his tail softly against the deck. "'Father,' resumed the voice, "'you understand that once Gwynplaine is no longer here, all is over. Even if I would remain, I could not, because one must breathe. We must not ask for that which is impossible. I was with Gwynplaine. It was quite natural. I lived. Now Gwynplaine is no more. I die. The two things are alike. Either he must come or I must go. Since he cannot come back, I am going to him. It is good to die. It is not at all difficult. Father, that which is extinguished here shall be rekindled elsewhere. It is a heartache to live in this world. It cannot be that we shall always be unhappy. When we go to what you call the stars, we shall marry, we shall never part again, and we shall love, 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 and that is what is God. There, there, do not agitate yourself, said Ursus. The voice continued. Well, for instance, last year. In the spring of last year we were together, and we were happy. How different it is now. I forget what little village we were in, but there were trees, and I heard the linnets singing. We came to London, all was changed. This is no reproach, mind. When one comes to a fresh place, how is one to know anything about it? Father, do you remember that one day there was a woman in the great box? You said, It is a duchess. I felt sad. I think it might have been better had we kept to the little towns. Gwynplaine was done right with all. Now my turn has come. Besides, you have told me yourself that when I was very little, my mother died, and that I was lying on the ground with the snow falling upon me, and that he, who was also very little then, and alone like myself, picked me up, and that it was thus that I came to be alive. So you cannot wonder that now I should feel it absolutely necessary to go and search the grave, to see if Gwynplaine be in it because the only thing which exists in life is the heart, and after life the soul. You take notice of what I say, father, do you not? What is moving? It seems as if we are in something that is moving, yet I do not hear the sound of the wheels. After a pause the voice added, I cannot exactly make out the difference between yesterday and today. I do not complain. I do not know what has occurred, but something must have happened. These words, uttered with deep and inconsolable sweetness, and with a sigh which Gwynplaine heard, wound up thus, I must go, unless he should return. Ursus muttered gloomily, I do not believe in ghosts. He went on, This is a ship. You ask why the house moves? It is because we are on board a vessel. Be calm. You must not talk so much. Daughter, if you have any love for me, do not agitate yourself. It will make you feverish. I am so old. I could not bear it if you were to have an illness. Spare me. Do not be ill. Again the voice spoke. What is the use of searching the earth, when we can only find in heaven? Ursus replied, with a half-attempt at authority, Be calm. There are times when you have no sense at all. I order you to rest. After all, you cannot be expected to know what it is to rupture a blood vessel. I should be easy if you were easy. My child, do something for me as well. If he picked you up, I took you in. You will make me ill. That is wrong. 
you must calm yourself and go to sleep. All will come right. I give you my word of honour, all will come right. Besides, it is very fine weather. The night might have been made on purpose. Tomorrow we shall be at Rotterdam, which is a city in Holland, at the mouth of the Meuse. Father, said the voice, look here. When two beings have always been together from infancy, their state should not be disturbed, or death must come, and it cannot be otherwise. I love you all the same, but I feel that I am no longer altogether with you, although I am as yet not altogether with him. Come, try to sleep, repeated Ursus. The voice answered, I shall have sleep enough soon. Ursus replied in trembling tones, I tell you that we are going to Holland, to Rotterdam, which is a city. Father, continued the voice, I am not ill. If you are anxious about that, you may rest easy. I have no fever. I am rather hot. It is nothing more. Ursus stammered out, At the mouth of the Meuse. I am quite well, father. But look here. I feel that I am going to die. Do nothing so foolish, said Ursus, and he added, Above all, God forbid she should have a shock. There was a silence. Suddenly Ursus cried out, What are you doing? Why are you getting up? Lie down again, I implore you. Gwynplaine shivered and stretched out his head. End of section 102 Recording by Novella Serena